Welcome to Spark.Grow, a series of conversations on topics that are critical to companies and people that want to grow, scale, and maintain their performance. Spark.Grow is brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark and hosted by Dave Haviland, founder of Fimation based in Ann Arbor. This conversation was recorded in the podcast studios of the Ann Arbor District Library. Now we'll turn it over to Dave Haviland for this conversation. Welcome, this is Dave Haviland. Uh, this is another episode of the Spark.Grow podcast where we talk to uh, business owners and business leaders in the Ann Arbor area. Um, usually we'd be at the Ann Arbor District Library's podcast recording room, um, but it's such a small place that it's uh, impossible to distance there. So I am joined today by Mike Klein and we're doing it virtually. Uh, and Mike is, well, what's your role at Genomino, Mike? Uh, hey, Dave. So I'm the CEO of Genomino. Yeah, great. Uh, so, uh, so thanks for joining today. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, about your arc. You know, kind of where you, where you're coming from, where you are, and, and maybe where you're headed. Sure, sure. Um, so it's a pleasure to to join you today and uh, to have this conversation. Um, you know, my background is one of a serial entrepreneur. So. I'm not quite sure I remember how to work for somebody else. Um, you know, it, it's been 20, I started my first company in 1993. So, um, you know, yeah. bachelor's uh, degree in computer engineering, master's in electrical engineering. Um, we did uh, about 10 years for uh, two large corporations, Motorola and the semiconductor world, and then Rockwell. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, at night school working halfway through my MBA program uh, at Michigan when, um, I wrote a business plan. I, I, I uh, took a class in writing business plans and actually loved the business plan. So I quit my job and started my first company uh, back in 1993. So it was the business plan that you used? It was, yeah. We had a team of four of us. Uh, we, we won a business plan competition. Uh, it was in line with the business that we were in. So it was a factory automation software company. And um, probably not something I'd advise everybody to do, but I quit my job. State, you know, worked in the basement for two years developing software, released it, and wow. you know we became uh, the market leader in a small niche in the market, and it ended mm -hmm. up selling that company in 2000 to a multi-billion-dollar French conglomerate, um, and did you know we did okay, uh, and then I did um, I joined another uh, turnaround. It was a turnaround deal we did. It was a spin out of the University of Michigan, called Interlink Networks uh, in Network Security. Um, we had a lot of things stacked against us. Not only were they burning a ton of cash when I got there and we had to cut a lot of the team and really get it realigned, but then, you know, that was 2001, 2002, when, you know, we went through the dot-com crash and the whole, we were selling security software to telecom markets and that whole market just imploded. Um, and so we, uh, we pivoted, but it was unsuccessful on that pivot. Um, and end up, but, but however, that st software is still um, being sold today. And uh, one of our managers took that business over and has been running that business since 2008. It's been very successful with it. Nice, nice. Are there any are there any themes or threads that play through all of your entrepreneurial career? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of my focus has been in the you know because I grew up in the software space. My first uh, mm -hmm. two companies were a software company. The third company mm -hmm. I joined was a uh, fifteen million dollar company. I was doing about two million dollars, and we grew that to about twenty million dollars. And that was in the data center space. It was more IT focused, doing you know what is now called cloud cloud servers, cloud computing, mm -hmm. uh, data centers. Um, 
And now I'm, I'm uh, working in it with a software company, but in a whole new area uh, in the field of genomics, which is really exciting to take the, the skills I have and the, the background I have in growing software and software as a service companies, but applying it to this whole um, medical area of, of medical genomics um, with a much different purpose, a much different focus um, on the, the end value we can deliver um, and the scientific knowledge required to do the work that we're doing. And um, so how long have you been with Genomenon? So I joined Genomenon in 2016, the end of 2016. So I've been there about four years now. So you, you're, you're drawing on one domain that you have a lot of expertise in and then, and then stepping into a new domain that you don't really have much expertise in. How long did it take you to, to, to feel comfortable that you could, could operate in both of those with whatever mastery you need? Um, or you still so, yeah, well, I've always worked. So the, the one cool thing about genomics is you're always learning, right? There's just a, so much mm -hmm. to know. And, and um, biology is so much unlike engineering uh, because there's so many unknowns mm -hmm. and you can't just like write the equation or write the code and make it happen. So there's there's a tremendous amount of, uh, of knowledge that's always being developed and always being learned. And you know, I know I'll never be the master of the genomics domain, but um, I'm able to surround myself with a great team uh, the founders, you know, the two co-founders are, are absolutely brilliant. Uh, one in the software area, the other in the is an MD, PhD in, uh, in molecular biology. So they bring the expertise and um, it's been a, a fun, steep learning curve. Uh, to answer your question, though, I think what I've seen is that in almost every company um, for the last three companies, it takes a good two years to, to move from like, asking a lot of questions and really being analytical to being much more intuitive about the business. Mm -hmm. so, you know, when I was at online tech, I had that same experience where there was a lot of, a lot of learning and, and about two years in, you know, the decisions started becoming a lot more intuitive and a lot less analytical because you, you, you knew the business well. And I would say the same is true for, for uh, my role at Genomenon where I'm past, you know, past the trying to figure it out stage and a lot more of the decisions and the conversations are intuitive. There's, you have enough experience with startups with growing businesses that there's probably some kind of like intuitive algorithm inside of you about the likelihood of success or the dynamics that you need to manage both externally and internally in a business and things like that. So are there, which, um, are you finding that your algorithm that worked before with your other growing companies is, is, is kind of working in this company too, as far as guiding you on what kinds of things you need to work on and stuff? And um, well, I, I I don't even know if you can answer this question, but but like, ha, ha, are you are you seeing market dynamics that are similar to the experiences you've had in the past, or different internal dynamics that are similar to what you had in the past, or different? How how is what you're doing now connected with with what your experience is? Um, so great question. Let me try to parse that out a little bit because I think mm -hmm. there are stage appropriate experiences that um, make a difference. And in the first company, the first company, you know, I started it, I knew it, it was my idea. You know, I had the whole creation in my brain, right? And we really were just executing on that and then learning the market as, as we went along. Um, one of the things that I learned there and I learned also at Interlink Networks is in the early stage companies, product market fit is a huge challenge and a huge area mm -hmm. that you've got to really focus on. Um, mm -hmm. At, at online tech, it was more about scaling, right? We had a company that had you know two million dollars in revenue. 
Um, you know, not not profitable, but we were on our on our path to profitability. And it was a question of how do you 10x that company, and so it was a different set of questions, a different set of skills, a different mm-hmm. focus for the team. Now at Genomenon, when I joined the company, it was a it was much earlier stage than I was looking for. My goal when I was looking to join another company was to join another second stage company, a couple million dollars of revenue, apply the same tools that I had uh, at online tech, and scale the business and, and you know and, and grow that business. We ended up you know at a ba- basically a very early stage pre shipment of the product, uh, early product development, and there's been a lot of. Um, Pivoting as we're asking a lot of questions. You know, I think over time, one of the things I learned when I came to Genomenon is don't pretend you know the answer, right? Because you don't. Uh, spend a lot of time figuring out the answer, asking a lot of questions. And so, you know, the first three years of Genomenon, probably the first four years of Genomenon, was a lot of listening to customers, pivoting, changing, you know, what we were going to do, narrowing our focus, broadening our focus. To where I feel like, you know, the two areas that we're serving, we, we work with genetic testing labs with one of our products. It's a genomic search engine. And we work with pharma companies uh, with another solution, which is a, uh, a genomic database. And 2020, I would say, is the year where we really hit the gas and we're scaling on the clinical side because it was the first market that we entered in 2017. We got into the pharma market in 2019, and now it feels like this year that piece of the business is really starting, is poised to scale as well. So, you know, that agility, product market fit, you call it an intuitive tool set. I think it's really, you know, asking a lot of questions, trying to figure out, okay, that didn't work, that didn't work. Oh, this seems to be working, right? Navigating your way through that product market fit is um, is the early stage challenge, and now we're at the point where this company is ready to put pour some gas on the fire. And we're really, you know, we doubled our growth last year, we'll double our growth again this year. And so now we're talking about the scaling stage of the business, which is a whole different set of skills, a whole different mindset, right? right? And, the, and the leadership team is actively engaging and shifting our mindset um, about how we think about the business. I wanna dive a little bit more into your leadership team, but um, a question I have as I hear you talking about this, you know, in my consulting work, oftentimes you get in front of business leaders and they're looking for results in three months, six months, something like that. And so to hear you talk about a process that takes three years to, to really work through, um, you know, is that, was that slow? Is that typical? Was it fast? You know, for, for and, and, and why does it take three years? No, it's a great, it's a great question. It, it is slow, right? It is, it's, it's been, you know, a lot of times the, the, the dream is you get this great idea, you build this great idea out and, you know, nine months later, everybody can't wait to get it. And all of a sudden you're scaling, right? Um, you know, sometimes I, I think there's some realities that are in there. A, we're in a very conservative market. Um, we're selling into pharma companies and, um, and to clinicians, right? So we're selling into MDs and, and PhDs and scientists, and by nature, they're skeptical. So in 2017, when we introduced this product, we thought it was great. We got a lot of, uh, you know, talk to the hand kind of conversations as this can't be done, it'll never work. I don't, you know, a lot of questions on whether what we're really providing. Um, and it, take, it takes a long time, you know, with, you know, a great, I think we've got a great team has it been able to position us, been able to develop the product further uh, to get to a point where we're becoming the de facto leader in the market, 
but it's a brand new market. So it's not like we're another, you know, hey, this is cool yeah. type of thing. So, we're, you know, it's, I think part of it is who are you selling to, right? How quickly are they going to adopt this technology? Mm -hmm. It's taken longer than I thought to hit the stage where we're at the inflection point in the curve. At least I hope we're at the inflection point in the curve. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of investors would um, probably want to see faster results as well. But we're in a really strong position now to uh, now that we've taken that, we made a lot of investment in IP and data gathering, which has created mm -hmm. a very interesting mode around our business, which is harder for anybody else to replicate. So what are the, this is going to be my transition question to your leadership team. Um, what are the, what are the kinds of business issues or things like that, that you guys are, are focused on now in whatever stuff you're, you, you're able to share? Yeah, I think, so I think, you know, in the, the first three years, a lot of our conversations were around um, MVPs, most minimum viable, minimally viable products, getting it out there. Will the dog eat the dog food? Can we get a couple of dogs mm -hmm. to eat the dog food? Do we get a lot of dogs eating the dog food? And now we know that, you know, the dogs will eat the dog food. The recipe works. We're getting great traction. We're getting great customer credibility. We're, um, we're growing very quickly. You know, we've got close to 12,000 users now all around the world, 146 countries. So now the question is, how do we um, scale the business? How do we grow the business? And so we're thinking about, you know, all the mechanics that go into everything from hiring building processes and systems. A lot of it is around building processes and systems now, right? So mm -hmm. the faster you go, the more likely the wheels are gonna come off the uh, off the wagon. And so you're spending yeah. a lot of time, you know, not only putting the wheels back on the wagon, but also finding better wheels and fixing the gears and fixing the axles so they can go twice the speed and four times the speed. So we, yeah. we, we spent a lot of our time thinking about what do we need to do to 10X this business in the next three years and what is this system going to look like? Because we certainly can't afford to go in and spend a half a million dollars on an IT system, for example, right? Um, but we need to be thinking about if what we have now is breaking, let's fix those things step by step by mm -hmm. step. So we have a number of areas that we are uh, doing process improvement on as well. What does the cadence look like for you all? Uh, how often are you meeting with your leadership team? And, and are there different kinds of meetings that you have with them? Yeah, so there's um, we meet every we meet every week uh, in a um, it's, it's we follow this program called uh, Entrepreneur Operating System EOS, and so they call it a level ten meeting. But it's basically our leadership meeting where we do a quick run through of how are we doing against our goals. We do a quick run through on our uh, executive dashboard so we can look at our scorecard, and we've got about a dozen metrics that tell us you know where things are working well, where we're in trouble, right, and then. Um, and we, we go through customers, you know, how are our customers, we have any customer issues, and then we'll spend the last hour breaking down issues where we will highlight what are the biggest challenges we have in front of us, tackle those, you know, argue about those, try to come up with a, uh, a decision and then cascade those through the organization. So, so in that, so you have a half hour or an hour reviewing the dashboard and then, a, and then an hour to talk about things. Exactly, um, yeah. So in that hour, uh, are you usually covering like just one issue that you go in really deep or, or two or three, or you talk, you know, are you bouncing across the top of six different issues and having 10 minutes with each one? It depends. What does that usually look like? Yeah, it depends on the, uh, the, A, the urgency. So sometimes there's really urgent issues that we can knock off uh, very quickly. Uh, other times when uh, we spend a whole hour uh, really getting into a very strategic issue uh, or yeah. we'll schedule another meeting, you know, for example, 
six months ago, we were looking at an acquisition and you know that took some deep dive, uh, deep dive by the whole team of the advantages, disadvantages, you know, a lot of back and forth. And, uh, but we came out with a decision not to do the acquisition because we felt it would take us off track. And we were all aligned behind that decision after we, uh, we went worked through that. So, yeah. And I know a lot of my clients will supplement that weekly heartbeat kind of meeting with a monthly or a quarterly or a semi-annual that's designed to be more explorative, more strategic. So do you supplement that, that more frequent cadence with, with some other cadence that, that gets you into a different area? Yeah, actually, we, we supplement that on, on both sides. So we meet every quarter uh, to lay out um, our annual goals at the beginning of the year and then our quarterly goals. And that's how we lay out, you know, we call them rocks or I think the U.S. calls them rocks as well. But that helps us figure out, you know, here are the three most important things we need to do for the business this quarter. Keeps our focus on that. Um, and that all fits within our one-year plan, our three-year plan, our five-year plan on where we want to go. On the other side, we meet um, uh, Mondays. Or, so Mondays are our our, uh, our our full meeting. Wednesdays and Fridays, we meet to do just kind of a quick stand-up to see if there's any mm -hmm. pressing issues, make sure we're all on the same page. P part of it is just we're not in the office. So we, you know, just that human contact that we need to have, right, right is an important piece of just keeping, keeping a pulse on everything. And how, so how big is the leadership team? So we've got um, myself and six others that are on the leadership team. Okay. Uh, and do you have any, I'm, I'm going to, I, I, I don't know if these questions are ones that you're going to want to answer. So if you want to just pass on any of them, um, feel free to. Uh, so are, are there any particular dynamics that you're working on within the leadership team itself? I think, I think a lot of times the focus when talking about leadership team is how do we scale the business, but there's some infrastructure building. A lot of times it happens, has to happen actually within the leadership team. And so are you, and, and of course, as the CEO, in many ways, your job is to build the infrastructure in the leadership team so that the leadership team can build the scaling of the business. So, exactly. so are there things that are on your agenda as the leader of the leadership team in, in any kind of way that you can share with us that, that, that you're focused on these days? Right. So there, there is, um, you know, as a small business, so we, when we were 10 or 12 or 15 people, it was pretty easy not to spend time thinking about the, you know, the human issues, right? We were, we were facing this, this imminent threat of, do we have product market fit, right? You know, product market fit, game over. Now that we've got that, we're thinking you know, in terms of longer term things, we are thinking about, okay, what is, you know, what does my team need to be able to scale in their parts of the business? both from a skill set side, uh, as well as enhancing their leadership team, right? So each individual who has been, you know, great in their particular area, all of a sudden you can see, well, they're going to get overwhelmed if they keep, if we don't support them, right? And bring in managers beneath them to help scale the business. There's also, you know, interpersonal dynamics. We're learning how to work better, right? As, as more pressure on growing the business and bigger decisions are coming at us. Um, we continue to work on that from, you know, the coaching that 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 I provide, the feedback that we're getting into, we haven't actually done performance reviews in four years, and now it's becoming yeah. part of our process of how do we give feedback in a constructive way. You know, we have a coach that helps us on the EOS side, right? So helping us coach through some of those dynamics, building in processes, making the conflict not personal, um, but using that to get to to better decisions. And then I think we're also going to start stepping into some team. 
I don't want to say personality profiling, but there's a number of, you know, four quadrant tools that can help uh, yeah. as a team better understand how each person communicates, how they receive data, how they process data. And so that's part of the investing we're doing also to, um, to enhance the, uh, the strength of the, of the leadership team. I love it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned conflict. Uh, can you can you talk a little bit more about the importance of conflict, the role of conflict, um, how you you know what your philosophy is about conflict? Yeah, I, I, um, I mean nobody likes conflict, right? It's a lot easier to say, okay, we're going to stay conflict free. Um, the problem with that is you don't get the best decisions. Um, you don't make the, the you, you don't end up getting all viewpoints at the table if everybody agrees with you know well the boss or you know who's the smartest person at the table. So, you know I think the the challenge is is um, is making it not personal and putting a process in mm -hmm. place so that nobody feels attacked when they bring an idea out, but it's okay to disagree, to argue different viewpoints, and to get that to 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 share that um, you know to share strongly your beliefs. At the end of the day, you know, a lot of times, I'd say not 80% of the time, we probably all agree, end up agreeing after we talk an issue through, even though there's been conflict. And sometimes, you know, my job as a leader is to step in and make the final decision. Um, and we've got, a, I think we've got a really mature leadership team that, you know, once everybody's been heard and they've vetted, they understand you can't win every argument, right? And so we have to kind of mm -hmm. fall in line and decide, okay, we're going to go forward with this decision, take it out through the company take it out and everybody supports that decision going forward. Yeah. If I were to ask your leadership team what your leadership style is, um, what do you think they'd say? Wow. Um, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things that uh, in my leadership style has really um, had to change a lot when I got to Genomenon is uh, it was easy for me to be the master of um, what I was, you know, the, the company and understand every working part of what we were doing in my last companies, because, you know, I, I could be the domain expert. By no means am I the domain expert at Genomenon. So my style has been to more bring the issues up to make sure that the, it's clear where we're going. Um, but quite frankly, you've got just a phenomenal leadership team and they're really strong in their areas that they're able to run, you know, understanding where we need to go um, with, with regular kind of check-ins, they're able to run and make the things happen on their side. Um, and so I, I would say that I've had to be a lot more hands-off, which, which is probably good, right? Yeah. Uh, because you know it, it enables really strong leaders to step up and accomplish things that uh, if I was making all those decisions would be very difficult for them. So it's been a, trans yeah. a positive transition for me to step into an area where I'm not the domain expert and really learn to mm -hmm. trust and uh, and build around, you know, without having the intuitive knowledge of exactly what the right domain level issues are, uh, trusting a team, a really strong team to make those decisions and get us there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so we're covering such great ground. I really appreciate you uh, rolling with these. Um, I guess I'd, I'd like to hear about uh, how, how do you think about or how do you approach communication? So you, you have a growing business and you have a business that's growing quickly. I assume there's there's a significant role in how you manage communication, uh, either yourself or in the company in general. So what are your thoughts around how you 
you know, what, what role communication has or how you do it or however you struggle with that. Yeah. Handle yeah. that. You know, I think there's, there's a couple pieces. One, the pandemic has really made this more challenging uh, mm. for the way that we think about, about communication. But and part of the reason why um, we moved to this uh, EOS process uh, when the pandemic hit is I knew I needed to, I've always used something called, something called the Rockefeller Habits, but it's very similar mm -hmm. where you've got your annual goals, your quarterly goals, your rhythm, your meeting rhythms that you put in place. And as a pandemic hit, I, I, it became pretty clear that both the company was mature enough to take that on. And uh, if we didn't, we were gonna implode because we needed that communication across the company. And so mm -hmm. we do roll out our goals across the company. We have weekly all hands. Um, sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, there's not a lot to talk about, we'll skip over them, but mm -hmm. we have weekly all hands where we'll um, lay out, you know, once a quarter, what our goals are. We keep everybody up to date. The managers will, you know, typically once a, every two weeks, every four weeks, give everybody an update of what's going on in their area. And we've expanded that now to start covering things like um, education areas. So we've got a journal club that our chief scientific officer has introduced where some of the scientists will bring in and um, I don't wanna say dumb it down for the rest of us, but they'll explain some key issues that are going on. We had one on, on Wilson's disease, right? Just understanding the disease, the impact, the genetic drivers behind Wilson's disease. Uh, I shared with everybody just last week uh, how stock options work because not every employee is is uh, educated on stock options. And we really wanted all of our employees that are owners to understand the impact of, of stock options. Yeah. Um, and so we set up, we try to communicate at that level. And then this weekly meeting, daily huddle or every other day huddle rolls all the way down to the department level. So our uh, managers are meeting with their teams every week they're solving issues every week every two weeks solving issues they're having their huddles and their stand-ups within their team so that we can quickly cascade messages down or up right if something comes becomes a yeah. problem that the leadership team needs to be aware of so is what you're describing um different since the pandemic started is it something you would have had to do anyway because of the scale that you're approaching now and, yeah i think and, I, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question, Dave. I think we would have done it anyways. I don't know that we would have met every week for an all hands meeting. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult over Zoom. We don't have the hallway conversations, right? So for example, okay. later today, I got a coffee chat with four, four uh, employees where every week I, I try to get together and just spend a half an hour chit-chatting about nothing to do with the yeah. business, right? And, and it's been really interesting learning. You know, we've got some really phenomenally interesting people on the team and learning okay. more about them has, has been fun, but you miss that because you can't have those natural hallway conversations. You've got to find right. artificial ways to do that. Certainly innovation is at the heart of what you guys are doing as a business. Do you, do you have a formal innovation process or is it just so infused in the business that, you know, it's like the fish in water or whatever? Yeah, that was, that, that's, it's interesting you asked that because I think, um, as a, as, a, as a startup or an earlier stage company, innovation is at the heart of what we do, right? We're figuring things out all the time. We're listening, we're trying to solve problems. Um, you know, having a formal innovation program, I think is probably more appropriate for larger companies. They have the, the business model figured out, they have the recipe. You know, in a, large, in a large corporation, the recipe's figured out and management is pretty much charged with don't mess it up, right? 
make this happen, get, you know, 8% growth, 5% growth, right? Where um, we know everything's messed up in a startup because we're figuring out the recipe, right? We're putting the recipe together. And so um, I don't really think about having a formal innovation product, a process. Our, our challenge is that we have so many great ideas and so many directions that we can go that I think the, the, the challenge that, um, the bigger challenge we have is saying no, right? What fits within our strategy? What is interesting, but not now? And what is outside of our strategy and being very clear of what innovation, what all these great ideas we have, which of these are gonna, we're gonna run with and really narrowing that, winnowing that list down to something that's actionable and fo that we can focus on. I think a lot of the innovation work that I've done with second stage companies, I would characterize as portfolio management work kind of. So is that is that what you're talking about? And, and and do you feel like your portfolio management muscle is where you want it to be? Or is that something that you you, you think you're going to develop more? Um, well, I think we'll certainly develop it, you know, develop it further. Um, you know, we're already thinking about, um, for example, in the product development area, we're already thinking because there's so many details and so many features thinking about it from a, a portfolio perspective, we're gonna build lanes of how we're gonna, we're gonna you know, innovate in this area. We're gonna address customer concerns in these areas. We're gonna try something new in this area. And so, you know, from, from where I sit, um, it's almost more of where do I wanna put the investments in, in doing, what, doing what things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think as we become you know, I certainly saw like an online tech, right? A 15 year old company where we were in the IT space and growing innovation was probably more of a challenge or more of an issue because we had, a, we knew what we were selling, we knew how to do it. And it was a question of, okay, what area do we want to grow in? You know, do we want to move, for example, from at the time there was things called dedicated servers and then cloud computing was coming out and we had to figure out how to innovate our way into that arena. Um, we don't have that challenge right now. It's not like, hey, what's the next great opportunity? It's like, oh my God, we got so many, right? Mm -hmm. What are we, what are we going to focus on? I mean, genomics, you know, part of that is the nature of the genomics market. Um, genomics itself and genomics and healthcare and precision medicine, we're in the first inning of a really exciting, you know, set mm -hmm. of medical innovations and an and industry that is, you know, is going to completely change the way we think about healthcare. You know, they're already, you know, you're seeing some companies in the liquid biopsy area and 10 years from now, we go in to get our cholesterol, our blood screen for cholesterol. They're going to do a cancer screen. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not imaging. We're going to be able to catch stage zero cancer by, you know, wow. looking for um, circulating DNA of tumors, of cancer tumors in your blood to be able to detect, you know, imagine if, imagine if we could catch pancreatic cancer that is usually detected at stage four and is lethal we can detect that at stage one and give you a drug that can counteract that cancer mutation. It's going to change the way that we think about treating people. Wow. wow. I was going to ask uh, how uh, ordinary people like me are going to experience genomics uh, over the next decade. And I think you just described it. So that sounds very exciting. Yeah. I mean, one of the, so certainly, certainly one of the areas is cancer, right? The other area is rare diseases. There's actually more, uh, patients and children around the world born with a rare disease than there are cancer patients. And, you know, there are about 7,000 rare diseases that are typically, you know, they're genetic, 80% of rare diseases are genetically driven. And so we're seeing huge advances in being able to diagnose um, and treat, you know, coming up and developing treatments for patients with rare diseases that, you know, to date, some of them, 
many patients with rare diseases can spend, you imagine you got a child, you don't know what's wrong and it may take 20, 30 doctor visits, seven, eight years to get a diagnosis. And right. the world of genomics, right, can, can peer right into what's going on in your DNA. And as that continues to evolve, we can move, you know, we work with one hospital that is sequencing really sick neonatal uh, children and within 72 hours, they can provide a diagnosis of a rare disease because they're wow. using, they're sequencing their DNA and looking at that information. Wow, wow. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so you mentioned a lot of innovation is about what you say no to. Uh, when I think about that, I think about strategy. Um, what's your, how would you describe um, your strategic process, your strategic planning process however you think about strategy. Yeah, so so we think about, you know, it, it starts with, um, and again, this is something we've just, we've started now and I've done this in my other companies, but it's really important to get your mission or your purpose down. Why are we here? What do we do? You know, for us, um, it's about uh, saving, and, uh, saving lives by making genomic information actionable, right? That's our core purpose. That's what we do. Um, and so we're organizing the world's genomic knowledge and putting that at fingertips of researchers and uh, clinicians to help diagnose and make better treatment decisions or develop precision medicines for patients with rare diseases and with uh, with cancer. Uh, once you've got that kind of purpose and that mission, you know what you're going, you're doing, and you've got your core values, right? This is the things that we value and what we look for our employees. Then you start thinking about where do you want to be in five years? What makes you unique? What makes you different? How are we going to get there? Break that down into then pictures of this is what we're going to look like in five years. Number of employees, yeah. everything from the revenue side and the financial numbers, right? But that's not powerfully motivating to most people, right? Uh, we talk about number of employees, but we talk about number of customers, number of patients that we can serve, the number of pharma companies we'll be working with. We back that into three years, right? Now, what does that picture look like in three years? What does it look like in one year? And then we can start saying, okay, what do we need to do every quarter for the next four quarters to get to that goalpost or that milestone where we need to be at the end of this year? And that helps it become more real. Right? It helps mm -hmm. it become more tangible when you think about, you know, it was kind of a shock to some of our team. We thought, oh, in three years, we've got to be 10 times bigger, right? Well, well wait right. a minute, how am I going to do that? Yeah. <laughs> right? And it gets you thinking differently than just getting up and doing the same thing every day and just managing your, your workload. So um, I would say... I. Uh, most of my clients have a very different approach to strategy. Um, and uh, uh, so what I would describe, what I would, how I would describe what you just said was it's vision driven strategy. There's a completely kind of alternative that's that I'd call incremental or evolutionary strategy, which says we actually are not sure where we're going to end up in five years or three years, but we're going to constantly look at our scan, our horizon and see what the best opportunities are and then double down on the better ones and lighten up on the less good ones and just kind of see where we grow. And for family businesses that have been around for a while, for companies that don't have access to significant funding, a lot of times the vision driven one can be hard and the incremental can be more approachable. I, but, I, but I think regardless of which one is at the core, any company needs to have both. We could call it bottom down and top uh, top down or bottom up or whatever. So, so do you bring into your vision-driven process uh, an evolution of hearing what's happening in the business and surfacing that and and having that influence things? Yeah, Dave. I mean, that's a great way to think about it, right? Is it kind of comes from both ends, right? We know where we want to go. 
Um, we know what the world we think is going to look like in five years. At least we have a vision of what we think it's going to be, be like. Is that right? Probably not 100%. But it gives us an idea of what true north is. It gives us a direction of where we want to go. How are we going to get there? We have some ideas, but I couldn't tell you that it's black and white, right? And mm -hmm. then, you know, we get presented with opportunities from our customers that are coming in saying, hey, have you thought about this? Or I mentioned an acquisition opportunity that we looked at that um, we evaluated, but we use those guideposts of where we want to go. Is this strategic or not? Right. If a customer comes in and says, hey, I got this really cool thing. Can you do it? Right. And, you know, my CSO may say, hey, this is really cool. I can do it. The next question we ask is, should we do it? And so yeah. I, I think you're right. I think there's a kind of the, the, the there's both pieces there, right? The mm -hmm. can we do it, which presents that short term opportunities and always listening to where those are, because we wouldn't be in, we wouldn't be uh, half our business coming from the pharma serving pharmaceutical companies right now. We wouldn't be there if we had not listened to that opportunity that came to the table. Yeah. Right. And then it influenced our strategy. Um, but at the same time, should we do it weighs in as well is, you know, hey, mm -hmm. sometimes we take some risks and let's go and do this customer program and see where it's going to take us and kind of balancing those two all the time. And are you, are you placing these kinds of conversations about where we should go, maybe is our vision right, and those kinds of things? Are those in the quarterly meetings? Are those actually getting infused into the weekly meetings? Is it happening in all those different places? Yeah, it happens in the, I mean, it happens in the quarterly meetings, um, clearly, because that's where we're thinking about this, right? It happens in the yearly meetings, it happens in the board meetings, quite frankly, because that's where, you know, mm -hmm. we get a chance to get our people that aren't rolled up, they don't have their sleeves rolled up every day deep in the business to ask the more strategic questions. But it happens in our weeklies as well. When, when opportunities come up and we're saying, should we be doing this? You know, we're, we're, using those guys we're not asking the deep strategy like should we change our strategy but we're using that as that guidepost when we're asking should we mm -hmm. how often are your board meetings are they I often hear monthly or quarterly yeah we um, um we settled on um every two months so you know yeah. when i joined the company was doing uh monthly and then weekly depending on the pulse of where they were at and what they were doing you know because I have a, I brought more experience to the table, um, we were able to kind of back that into doing those bi-monthly, bi or yeah, bi-monthly, yeah, twice a month. And that's yeah. a, it's a good heartbeat because a lot of things change in two months for us at our stage. Yeah. Um, as we mature, like at Online Tech, we had quarterly board meetings and you, you just weren't going through as much change as quickly. Uh, you weren't mm -hmm. evolving as quickly. You weren't getting as much new data because the business was stable, growing. You knew where you're gonna and you could, you could better predict what the business is going to look like, you know, a quarter from now. Yeah. So I know that um, we don't have too much longer. I guess you have, you have so much experience in this space. Is, is there anything that you can think of that we haven't talked about that you think would be interesting for us to, to cover? Um, oh boy, there's a lot of, I mean, we could take this in, in a lot of directions, right? I think we talked about innovation and strategy. Um, you know, I, uh, I don't know, Dave, I'll let you decide whether this is something we should, yeah, should cover. <laughs> so let me, um, there's, there's a couple more specific, I think we've, we've been covering some big topics. Um, is there a difference for you between a leader and a manager or leadership and management? And, and how would you describe that? Yeah, you know, I, I always see, a lot of times you'll see these, uh, 
posts up on LinkedIn or on social media, you know, a manager does all these bad things and a leader does all these great things. Right. And, and quite <laughs> frankly, I think that's bullshit. Um, I think you got to do both. You know, a leader is part of the job that you need to do. And, you know, maybe in the CEO role, you're spending more time, you know, in the kind of the vision and figuring out where we need to go, but you need to manage, you need to put mm -hmm. those pieces together. And so I, I don't buy into that, uh, you know, management is bad leadership is is good um I, yeah. it, you need both sets of skills and they are different skills but you need both sets to be successful and your leaders and your managers need both sets to be successful yeah yeah i i, I come from a similar school to what you just described so i'm actually going to ask you to put your manager hat on um how do you deal with underperformers I think performance is kind of a thing that, that is more in the management category than leadership category. Not that that matters, but anyway. So, so how do you, what, like, how do you handle that when somebody isn't performing the way they should be? Yeah, and that's that's you know, it's tough because sometimes um, you hire the right people, um, you think you have them in the right seats, and they're not in the right seat, right? And you have to determine whether that's the case. Sometimes you hire the wrong people. Uh, or it's just not, you know, not aligned. They just can't can't do what you're asking them to do. And boy, I've never been fortunate to have 100% uh, batting average on everybody that I hire. Um, <laughs> <Has> anybody? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I think, I mean, first off, knowing what, being clear on what's expected, right? We know what our goals are. We know, you know, we take these goals that we have, these top three goals, and we build that all the way down to every individual. What are your rocks? What do you, you know, what's your scorecard? How are we being measured? So success shouldn't be a surprise or how you're doing shouldn't be a surprise. And we try to make sure that's clear. Um, you certainly, you know, will spend the time making sure that nobody's surprised by where they are and you wanna have those, those conversations with them. Um, but at the same time, if you're seeing that, you know, it's just not gonna fit, then, you know, and there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't work, right? Some people just, it's just not the right job for them. It's just not something mm -hmm. that they're motivated by. Uh, and they just would be, quite frankly, happier in another position in another company. You've got to have those hard conversations and sometimes make those those difficult decisions. Yeah, yeah. And um, let's let's go to the other end of the spectrum. How about high performers and high potential people? Like, do you do you do things differently with them than than kind of your normal performers? Um, Good question. I, you know, I think we've got a team of really strong performers, you know, so I, I don't have any, any weak performers on my, on my leadership team, right? On the team that works for me directly. Uh, and we have some, um, we have people within the organization, you know, across the board that are stepping up and really doing some phenomenal things. So hmm. as a, as a small young company, um, we really seek to have high performers across the board. I don't know that we're doing, I mean, a lot of what you have to do when you join a company our size is you got to step in and you got to jump in and, and swim in the deep end, right? And so um, that's a, high performers love that because you give them the ability to like, I just hired somebody to handle one new department that we created. And I was like, I don't know what this job is. I read a book about it. Here's the book go figure it out. And she's done an amazing job on that because she stepped yeah. into the void and she was motivated by filling that void. And I think that that's the opportunities you have in a really small company, a startup company where there is opportunities abound for high performers to step up and really take on more. Mm -hmm. That's just, which is what motivates them. Right. 
Yeah, uh, versus, yeah. you know, being focused on or told exactly what to do. Yeah. All right. Gosh, this has been so fun, Mike. So, so my last question, and you can answer this for you personally or for your business. Um, last question is, what are you most excited about for the next year and for the next decade? So um, let me start with the next decade, because we talked about that a little bit with where genomics mm -hmm. and precision medicine is going. And, you know, part of my personal motivation when I joined um, Genomenon was that you know, 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago now, my mother uh, had breast cancer. And um, back then, the, the, the regimen was you get drug number one, everybody gets drug number one. If drug number one doesn't work, everybody gets drug number two. If that doesn't work, it's mm. drug number three. Well, today, mm. you know, this idea of precision medicine is able to go in and sequence the DNA of your tumor because you know, uh, cancer is a genomically, genetically driven disease, right? It's mutations within your body that turns into cancer. And once they sequence that, that uh, tumor, you can start deciding, well, maybe drug number 10 on the list is a better one because with this type of tumor, this type of genetic characteristic of your tumor, 80% of the people that take drug number 10 are gonna be better responders. And that's what the world of precision medicine is about, both for rare diseases and tuning in and building the drugs around specific mutations for rare diseases, tuning those drugs around cancer. And so I'm really excited where we're going. We were just in, like I said, we're in the early, very early stages um, mm -hmm. and the knowledge, you know, getting the knowledge about what we can do to diagnose mm -hmm. and treat patients is gonna revolutionize healthcare wow. in the next 20 years. And so, you know, take that back to the one year piece, you know, I'm really excited about what we're doing because we're uniquely, delivering genomic knowledge in a way that nobody else in the market is doing. We are impacting patients' lives. You know, when I hear back from uh, Rady's Children's Hospital in San Diego, that is telling us that they were able to treat a baby that was having a dozen seizures a day, life-threatening seizures a day. And the only reason they were able to diagnose and treat that baby is because we connected that patient's DNA with a single piece of research that gave them insight wow. to do that treatment, right? And so I get up yeah. every day excited about, you know, saving lives and, and you know, yeah. having, leading, you know, orchestrating a team that is doing just phenomenal stuff for patients that is literally saving babies and helping, you know, cancer patients extend their lives. Well, uh, one of the one of the things that I've really enjoyed learning in my life is that um, for all those results that we see in all different kinds of parts of the economy, um, it, it, it still takes good good management, good leadership, good business thinking in order to execute that. Uh, and so hearing the impact that you're having is remarkable. And, and I'm um, also particularly excited about the good, the good business, the good management, the good leadership that needs, it, that needs to happen in order to actually execute that. So I really appreciate the kind of look inside the company, look inside uh, your experience. Uh, and, um, you know, there's a lot of rich stuff that we were able to cover. So uh, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you going in, in all the different directions that we did. Great, Dave. Hey, it was a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Thanks. And and Mike, if anybody wants to learn more, um, you know, or connect with you or anything like that, what's the what, what's what's the best path for them? Yeah. So our website is uh, is genomenon .com. Uh So G E N O M E N O N. Uh, it sounds like phenomenon, but it's spelled genomenon. Uh, and you know, mm -hmm. visit our website. We've got all of our, our contact information and background there. Terrific. All right. 
So this is Spark That Grow. We'll be back uh, in another month with another interview. But for now, Mike Klein of Genomenon, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for listening to Spark That Grow, a podcast series brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark. To learn more about Spark, visit annarborusa.org. And thank you to the Ann Arbor District Library as our recording partner. You can learn more about their resources at aadl.org.